hungry that he, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one, no one gave him anything. Then finally he came to his senses and he said to himself, At home even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf that we have been fattening. You must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard the music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet, when the son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments as we share, I pray that you'll give me the ability to share your heart. I pray that our hearts would then would be open to what you would say, Father, that you would speak words that I cannot and that our hearts would respond to you today. I thank you for this opportunity we have again to hear your word and for this day of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of today's message is this, Stay Where You Are. Stay where you are. Just like you tell my kids when they get lost, just stay where you are. Stay there. And we're going to look at this familiar story in the Bible of the prodigal son from a different perspective today than possibly we ever have before, a different look at his life. And I'd like to begin by asking this question. I think this question is actually going to be up on the screen behind me, and it's in your program if you have a program today. And the question is this, why would the prodigal son leave his father's house when everything he needed was right there? Have you ever thought about that? Why would he feel the need to leave this home when all of his needs were met? There, were, there was nothing that was pushing him out of the door. Everything he needed was right there. But I want to give you three reasons this morning that he left. So if you're taking notes, you can do so on your program. If you've got one this morning, or you can do uh, online at wfa.church. You can go to live stream, and there's a place to take notes there. Here it is. Number one, why did their son feel he had a need? Number one is this. He got used to the benefits and took them for granted. Got used to the benefits and took them for granted. Have you ever heard this phrase before? Listen to this. People aren't slow learners, just quick forgetters. It's even a word, forgetters. Not just slow learners, but quick forgetters. Now here's this young man who was raised in prosperity 
and abundance as far as we can tell from the story. And they um, had become so commonplace to him in his life that he began to take them for granted. He forgot how blessed he was and where those blessings came from in his life. And this reminds me a lot of the, the children of Israel and their account of their exodus out of Egypt and eventual uh, coming to the promised land in, in um, Exodus chapters 1 through 12. And many of us know the story, but let's just, let me remind us of, of the points here. The children of Israel were taken captive and made slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh uh, ruled them with an oppressive hand in everything that they did. And the, the children of Israel began to cry out to God for help and, and ask that he would rescue them in their suffering and in the slavery that they found themselves in. And we know that God heard their cries and responded to them by raising up Moses to eventually be their deliverer. And as God's spokesman, we know that Moses goes to Egypt and he demands that Pharaoh let his people go, but Pharaoh refuses to free them. And by doing that, then God then pours out his punishment upon Egypt through 10 plagues. You know what I'm talking about? We've all seen Charlton Heston, correct? The 10 commandments, those plagues that come as a kid. I love it. Easter's not too far off again. It'll be on again. We know the story, right? These plagues come, and after the final plague, the angel of death, Pharaoh finally allows the children of Israel to go free. He allows them to leave. But as they leave, the Egyptian armies chase after them, leading to one final confrontation at the Red Sea where God miraculously saves his people, and then the armies of Egypt are destroyed. So now they are free to go to their home. They begin the journey home now that they have been freed from Egypt. But there was a little bit of a problem. Despite everything that God had done for them, every miraculous sign he performed, Israel forgot about his goodness. And the Bible says that they sinned against the Lord. They had forgotten all that he had done. They had forgotten it all. So, they rebelled against God, and they were not allowed to enter the promised land. And God was so upset with them, he was going to destroy them. He was going to wipe them off the face of the earth. But Moses interceded for them, and God stayed his hand. But God declared that Israel would wander in the wilderness until the unbelieving generation died. Then at that point, they could enter the promised land. So that took 40 years, 40 years until they were finally ready to enter the land that God had promised them. And as Joshua was preparing to lead the people in, Moses gave them some final instructions. In Deuteronomy 6, verses 10 through 12, this is what Moses tells them. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from the vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. One more time, verse 12. Be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery from the land of Egypt. 
Egypt. Why would God give this specific warning right here at this time, telling them to be careful not to forget? Why would he do that? Well, he knew that they were going from literal rags to riches as they came into the promised land. They're going from wandering in the wilderness in daily dependence upon God to the ownership of beautiful homes and lands and vineyards and gardens. But here's the inherent danger that they faced as they entered the promised land, and it's a danger that we can face too here in this time and hour that we're alive. Abundance can cause us to forget about God. Any kind of abundance. It always just isn't monetary, but abundance can cause us to forget God. And God went even further to help them to not forget. When they crossed the Jordan River and entered the promised land, God told them to take 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes, and to build a memorial among the people so that they would not forget. He wanted them to be reminded of who they were, who he was, and he wanted them to be reminded of the covenant bond that they had together. And so he built this, had them build this memorial so that they would remember. And, and memorials are meant to be constant remembers to not only the generation that is, but also to the generations that come. God was telling his children, the children of Israel, remember me. Don't forget. Remember my provision and my blessings. Remember my mercy, my faithfulness, my miracles. Remember my deliverance, but most of all, remember my love. Remember me. He didn't want them to forget. So as we pivot back now to our main story, right, back to what we were originally talking about, if the prodigal son hadn't forgot how blessed he was and he hadn't forgotten the source of those blessings, maybe he would have chosen to stay where he was. Maybe he would have chosen not to leave, but his heart was determined to go. He got used to his blessings and he took those blessings for granted. So that's one reason why I feel he would have left. Here's the second one. The second reason he left is this. He didn't know what was out there. He didn't know. The prodigal son wasn't content, not in life, not in his current situation. Have you ever heard someone say this? If I had fill in the blank, then I would be happy. Oh, if I just had a, a home of my own, or if I just had this particular car, oh, if I, just, if I just had a relationship, if I just had this, or I had this, or I had this, then that's when I would truly be happy. Only that will bring me happiness. It's also kind of in, in link with the other saying is the grass is always greener on the other side. It's hard for us to view things from this side when it could be better over there. You know, in his discontent, this prodigal son might have had the thought in his mind something like this. It's pretty good here at home, but it might be a whole lot better out there. We know that his family had crops and land and livestock and servants. They had valuable jewelry, a house, and enough of an inheritance to be divided between two sons. That's what we know about this family. Yet the prodigal son was unsettled for some reason. He was discontent, and he longed for something more than what he already had. He asked for his inheritance in advance before his father would die. That's normally when someone would have their inheritance. But he asked for it so that he could go now. He could go out and explore the world. 
And we know that his father grants his son's request, giving him his inheritance. And then the prodigal leaves home on a journey to discover what's out there in the distant lands. He sets out. And what we see here in the story is basic human nature, isn't it? We are not always content with what we have and with what we've been given. It's human nature. And technology can even make the struggle for contentment more difficult in our day and age. Technology can. We live in a social media world where people can present their picture-perfect life for everyone to see. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Boop, boop, boop. There's times I, I keep my phone downstairs because I'm tired of things going off. Someone's, you know, ah, look at me, look at me, look at my life. It makes it hard when this digital world we live in. Is it any wonder why we feel discontented with what we have when we're constantly bombarded with these things that are always in our face? In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul had a lot to say about contentment. It's too bad the prodigal son couldn't have gotten an advanced copy of Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It might have helped him out a little bit. But we have the letter. And we're going to read in his letter what he tells us. He gives us five instructions concerning contentment. And the first one is this. Practice gratitude. That's what Paul said. Paul encourages us in the habit of giving thanks. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember the Lord is coming. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Amen. See, discontentment can lead us uh, to anxiety and distress. And the more and more that we begin dwelling on this, the more we start to think like, well, how can we take better vacations? Or, or what can I do to, to, to renovate my house? Or how can I get those expensive lessons for my kids? And we start thinking that way, and then that leads to spending more money. And then spending more money leads to more worrying about your finances. And worrying about your finances then leads you more to discontent. And it's like this vicious circle that goes on. It reminds me of a book that we used to read our kids when, when they were little. It's called, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. I'm not going to read it to you this morning. This is one of our favorite books in the kids. But basically, the premise is, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want a glass of milk to go with it. And if he wants a glass of milk to go with it, then he's going to want a straw to drink the milk with. And if, if he's had this milk, then he's, then he's going to want to go and he's going to look in the mirror to make sure that he, he, he doesn't have a milk mustache. And then it goes on and on and on. It just keeps going, keeps building and building and building and building. And the premise is, don't give the, the mouse a cookie to begin with, please. Don't do it. Because it keeps going and going and going. Discontent, that cycle keeps building where we're always caught up in the cycle. Not content. And it leads to anxiety and stress. So when we begin to feel pressures like this in our lives, what can we do? What do we do? Well, we can bring our anxiety to God. We can give it to him. But it's more than just telling God about what we're feeling. Notice what Paul says for us to do when we make our requests known to God. He says, to do so with thanksgiving. Bring your requests to God with thanksgiving. 
do it together. That's what Paul admonishes us here. See, when we, when we think about Thanksgiving, it gives us a, a new focus. It changes our focus, actually. I'm, I'm having some eye problems. If I adjust this stand a lot of time just because I can't see out of this eye very well, and um, I'm excited. I'm looking at possibly a, a remedy to what I've been um, experiencing in this, in this eye. But in the meantime, things get out of focus for me. And it's difficult. And, and um, I just, it's just something I'm excited to get taken care of eventually. But when, when things are out of focus, we miss something. And so Thanksgiving changes our focus and it gets it in line with God. It helps us to see everything that God has already provided for us. Thanksgiving shows us what we have both physically and spiritually. Thanksgiving helps us to remember how he's taken care of us and given us so many good things. And Thanksgiving also reminds us of how God has worked even through our hard situations in life. When we bring our needs to him, say, Father, here's my need. Do so with thanks. God, but I thank you. This is a need, but I thank you that you're faithful. I thank you that you're good. I'm thankful that I know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not going to leave me. I can trust in you. Thank you that you are strong. You are greater than anything I will ever face. With thanksgiving, bring our petitions and our needs to God. If we want to be content, practicing gratitude is a great place for us to start. The next instruction Paul gives us is think correctly. Think correctly. Paul continues with these words in verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. So I like that part. Think about what is true. Often the pictures we see on Instagram or on Facebook only give us a glimpse into someone's life. And they carefully choose that picture that they're going to use. They want to put it out there. Because whether people realize it or not, okay, they want, to, want other people to like them and to admire them. And so they only share pictures or videos that puts them in the best light. Right? We know it's true. So our, our focus is supposed to be on what is true. And getting the whole truth is, is getting the whole picture, not just a sliver of it. I'm reminded about how, you know, sometimes uh, people can put things on Facebook to make it look like something that it's not. I don't know if you saw this picture before. There's this one where it looks like a beach. There's the sun, the water, shows the sand. And it looks like someone is laying on a beach towel. Their knees are up, and they're just taking a picture. They're laying out by the ocean. It looks all big and beautiful. And that's what you see, and it looks legit. But then you see another picture where it's actually someone's apartment. On the wall, they have a poster of the ocean and a little light shining down on it. And it's not their knees that are resting up from their, their beach blanket. It's actually a picture of their knuckles like this they took with their cell phone. I don't know if they had a caption like, having a great time in Hawaii. It wasn't true because they faked it, but it looked real. It looked real. We need to think about whatever is true, whatever is true. And the only place that we will ever find the whole truth and nothing but the truth is the word of God. It's his word. The Bible has shown us so many examples. Look at the lives of Rahab and Ruth. Look at Mary and Martha. David and Saul. You can look at Peter and Paul. I mean, we could keep going all morning. 
The Bible is honest about all of them. We get the full picture. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. Their stories and their lives are about God's work and his discipline and his heart for his people and for his glory. That is the truth. So here's a word of encouragement for us today. When we find ourselves feeling discontented, discontented, we can turn to the word of God, we can read it, and then we can meditate on what we read. It is easier for us to find contentment in Christ when our minds are focused on him. Not on Facebook or Instagram. Not saying you can't do those things, but we need to be focused in on Jesus. That's where our focus should be. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Being content requires that we think about the word instead of the world. All right, we're going to move on to uh, Paul's next instruction. It's this, let Jesus be your strength. Let Jesus be your strength. In verses 11 through 13, he says, For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Here's Paul's secret to learning to be content. He says, I can do all things. Whether I am in need or have abundance, whether I am hungry or if I have plenty, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is where his contentment is grounded. When Paul wrote that I have learned to be content no matter what the situation, he was more qualified than anybody else to give us a teaching on contentment. You see, while Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he was in prison. He was in a Roman prison. He was in jail. He was surrounded by Roman soldiers, and he was facing the very reality of the death penalty. He was waiting to see if he would be judged and whether he'd be put to death. So he's writing this from a jail cell. He knows what he's talking about here. He knows he's experienced this. Paul's also writing... Um, as someone who grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth, if you will, okay? Yet he also knew, knew poverty in his life. Paul knew what it was like to live under persecution and under peace. He knew what it was like to have a roof over his head or to have his head under the stars at night. He knew what it was like to have a full or empty stomach. He knew what it was like to be surrounded by loving Christians, but he also knew what it was like to be abandoned by brothers in Christ, he knew what it was like to be healthy, and he knew what it was like to have a thorn in his flesh that God refused to take away. He was speaking from experience. But yet, having experienced every one of those things, Paul said he was content. He was content. True contentment comes when we allow Jesus to be the source of our strength. Let's continue the next point of emphasis that he gives us, he instructs us to learn to be satisfied with what we have. Be satisfied with what we have. Verses 11 and 12, we just read them. They mentioned in there twice. What he says is he's learned lessons through personal experience. 
He learned to be satisfied with what he had. He learned how to keep on living in any situation. He lived those out. His lessons were learned through personal experience. And no matter how his circumstances changed, despite daily uncertainty, Paul knew that one constant in his life would never change, and that was Christ. It was Christ. And with that assurance, Paul could be content. Couldn't control all the other stuff, but if he knew that Jesus was with him, he was content. And friends, we are no different than Paul in this regard. We can learn to be satisfied and content in all things, not focusing on what we don't have or what we lack. And like Paul, regardless of what we face, we can be content that Jesus is with us and he will never change. He is the constant. The same yesterday, today, today, and forever. There's a song I've heard on the radio. It's caught my, my attention so many times. It's called Miracle Power by the group We uh, the Kingdom. And there's one line in particular that grabbed my heart when I heard it. The first time I heard it, it grabbed my heart, and I have not forgotten it. And this is the, the line in this, this song. I may not know what a day may bring, but I know who brings the day. I mean, think about that. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know who holds tomorrow in his hands. I love that. No matter what happens, we have Jesus, and Jesus is enough. We can be content in him. Paul's life was a living example of contentment, of being satisfied, and we would be wise to follow that example, and not that of the prodigal son. We should be Content. Lord, help us to be satisfied with what you have blessed us with. In learning to be content, Paul gave us some encouragements. He said, give thanks, think correctly, let Jesus be your strength, learn to be satisfied with what you have. And his last instruction is this, trust God. Trust him. That's what he says. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Trusting with all of our heart. If we desire true contentment, it requires faith and trust in him. It begins and ends right there with God. So we have this choice. Will we lean on our own understanding? Will we seek the things we think that will make us happy? Or will we choose him? Will we trust in him? Contentment is choosing so let's go back and look at our main question this morning as we wrap things up. Why would the prodigal son leave his father's house when everything he needed was there? Well, this is my third and last reason this morning. I, I, I believe he wanted his father's blessing and not his authority. There were plenty of blessings in his father's house, and the son desired them. He wanted them. He asked for his inheritance. He desired these things. But he wanted them on his own terms. He wanted to make the decisions. He wanted to be in charge. He wanted to make the decision. He wanted to call his own shots. And what the prodigal son didn't want is he didn't want to live any longer under the authority of his father. And we live in a world where there is no higher priority than oneself, right? That's, that's what the world tells us, that the, the greatest priority in life is you. You take care of you, you elevate you, you worship you. 
That's the most important thing that the world would say and would want to tell us. And we live in a world that opposes authority and it says, never submit, never give control to anyone, resist all authority. That's the world we live in. And this opposition to authority can be traced all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3, 1 through 6 says the serpent was the shrewdest of the animals and the Lord that he had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say to you not to eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat or even touch it or you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and then you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So what did, what did Satan do here? He twisted what God had commanded. He told Eve, you're not going to die if you eat the fruit. In fact, he said, you don't really want to be under God anyway. You want to be like God, don't you? You don't want to be under his authority. Just eat this fruit. That's what he told Eve. And I'm growing up in my house. I knew who the authority was in the home I grew up in. I would hear phrases like this. As long as you're under my roof, these are the expectations. And that's how we rolled in my house. Also things like this, when you're older and you have your own, your own home, you will be the one in charge. But until that day, I'm in charge. And I respected my parents for that. They showed me. So contrary to popular, the popular thought that, uh, that the word authority is an evil, rotten, terrible word, the, the reality is it's actually it's a beautiful word, authority. Authority is defined as a person who is in command, one in power. And when you think about the spiritual connotations of authority, you can see why this is a beautiful word. See, the good news is, is I get to be under the authority of God. I get to be under his love and his power and his grace. I get to be under his provision and his peace, under his blessings. That's the lordship of Jesus in my life and in your life. We get to be under his authority. The truth is, I mess things up way too much when I'm the one in charge. I make a mess. And I'm so grateful that I am able to surrender and trust in someone who is greater than myself. My trust is in him. But I'm also reminded that Jesus asked an important question to believers in Luke chapter 6 when he said, why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you call me Lord? In other words, why are you saying I'm the one in control when you won't obey me? It doesn't make sense. Friends, God will never force us to obey him. He won't make us submit to his lordship. It's completely up to us, just like it was with the prodigal son. I like to think of it, think of it like this, an umbrella. We have to place ourselves under the authority and the blessing of God. He says, I have all this for you. This is why I, I want you to come under my love. I, I, I want to help you in life. I, wanna, I want you to come and experience the blessings I have, but you need to come under my authority so that way you can have them and receive them. And so we're under the 
authority and under the blessings. But we have to remain in him. We have to remain with him. Just like when the physical rain is coming down, if I want the benefits of this, it does me no good if I stand off to the side. I don't receive the blessings of this in a downpour. But when I do this, it changes things. And it's the same thing with the blessings and the authority of God. God says, I have all this for you. I have this abundance. Come and live under my authority in your life. Come and live under my blessings. Remain in me. But we have a choice. And he asks that question. Why do you keep calling me Lord, but yet you won't do what I say? Why, won't, why don't you obey? Why don't you live under my authority? And then you will be blessed. I want to finish with Psalm 91, verse 1. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When we place ourselves under him, he will care for us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come out at this time. Would you bow your heads with me as we kind of wrap up this story today, talking about this familiar story but from a different perspective than we ever have before. With every head bowed and eyes closed, just want to have us think about this. We have a place with our Heavenly Father. It's a place that is near Him and not distanced. I'm sure the prodigal son's father wished that his son had stayed at home to begin with. And we know that the son had regrets after his eyes were opened to the truth. But the reasons why he left didn't really matter anymore. His heart had changed. And he wanted to make things right with God and with his father. So what ended up happening to this prodigal son? Well, he had to take the long road home. And that's what he did. He took the road home. And when he arrived home, his place was waiting for him. And it was right next to his father. Friends, we have a place where we belong too. And that is near God. Let us never take his love and his goodness towards us for granted. Let our contentment be found in him and not temporal things. And may we remain under the umbrella of his love and his lordship in all of our lives, living surrendered to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your people today. Thank you for this opportunity we have. I know it's been a little bit different of a message, but God, I believe what you were speaking to us is true. So in these moments, as the worship team begins to lead us in the songs, Lord, I pray that you'll speak into our hearts. Lord, we love you. We want to be committed to you as you are committed to us. Lord, speak to us. Show us, God, how we can walk as close as humanly possible with you. In Jesus' name we pray.